Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Live with Rachel podcast. I'm Rachel, and today we're going to be continuing from the previous episodes that we've been doing on decision making, wisdom, morality, choices, and so on. So, if you haven't checked any of those episodes out yet, you should definitely do so because they provide a lot of context for some of the things that I'll be talking about today. So, today we'll be focusing on the source of our actions, which is our heart. So, obviously, This episode isn't going to be about our literal heart, like the literal organ that we have that pumps blood around our body, (laughs) but we'll be talking more about how the heart is a spiritual part of us, whether you believe it or not, and it's where our emotions and like wants and will and everything like that comes from as well. So the Bible has a lot to say about the heart. It actually mentions the heart about a thousand times. So right there is an indicator that this should be something that we should be thinking about. So in a way, our heart is like a person's character. It reveals who they really are. For example, my reputation is what others think of me, which may or may not be true, but my character is who I really am. So your character is the real you in the sense that you can't separate what you do from who you are. So the character or the heart is basically a combination of a person's ethical and moral qualities in a way. And it's demonstrated through the choices that we make. So a person of good character is someone who acts morally and ethically upright, which is everything that we've been talking about in the past couple of episodes. And of course, as I've been mentioning repeatedly, we are all a mixture of good and bad. So I'm not saying that to have a good character, like a person, like a good person never makes mistakes. I'm not saying that at all, but rather a person who is always striving to take the moral high road. And, you know, when they've recognized that they've done something wrong, they're the ones who do what is necessary to get back on track in the right way. So if they don't do that, that should be a huge red flag. So for starters, the Bible says that the human heart in its natural condition is evil, treacherous, and deceitful. So Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and is extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? Or in another translation, it says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So in the Bible, corruption of the human heart means decay, pollution, depravity, just basically moral corruption. And it's one of the effects of sin that results from the fall of humanity. And as I've said it before, but if you read in the book of Genesis in the very beginning, God created a perfect paradise, which was free of sickness, pain and death. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed and rebelled against God, sin entered the world therefore spoiling its perfection. And in so doing, sin contaminated and started to decay the human heart of every other person after Adam and Eve. So corruption in the Bible is the state of moral contamination and spiritual decay, which is expressed through disobedience towards God. And it affects us on an extremely deep level, whether we acknowledge it or not. It's actually very close to spiritual death, meaning separation from God, and it's affected our mind, our emotions and desires, and they've all been affected by sin in one way or another. And a great evidence of this is the fact that a lot of us are just so blind to how really problematic our condition is. But even if we are blind to it, though, God isn't. And Jesus actually points this out in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. It says this, for from within our 
out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires or unrestrained conduct, envy and jealousy, slander and profanity, pride, arrogance and foolishness, meaning poor judgment. All of these vile and evil things, these schemes and desires come from within. They are what defiles and dishonors you. And also it's described in Psalm 14. And this is what it says from verses one to six. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the entire race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Will those who do evil never learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to the Lord. Terror will grip them, for God is with those who obey him. The wicked frustrate the plans of the oppressed, but the Lord will protect his people. So our biggest problem isn't what's happening to us on the outside, like in everyday life. For all of us, our problem is our heart because we all have a heart problem. And sometimes our hearts confuse us and we don't know why we do what we do or why certain things matter to us and some things don't. And basically what that means is we don't always understand or know our own hearts, but luckily God does. And the Bible tells us that because he created us, he knows the secrets of every heart. John chapter two, verses 24 to 25 says, but Jesus did not trust them because he knew all people and understood the superficiality and fiction of human nature, and he did not need anyone to testify concerning man and human nature, for he himself knew what was in man and in their hearts, in the very core of their being. So based on his knowledge of the human heart, God can judge properly. He says also in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 10, I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Now, I know whenever I bring up God's judgment and stuff like that, a lot of people think that automatically that Christianity unfairly judges people all the time and that God sets us up for failure and then punishes us for the failure that he caused. However, that's not true at all. And if it were, then yes, it would be unfair, but that's not how Christianity works and that's not how how God works. And I've explained this before in previous episodes, but I'll say it again quickly here. God is not only fair, but he is merciful. The Bible is very clear that we do have a choice about our sins. And for example, this is why it was once said that your character is the sum total of your life choices. So if you make poor choices, such as stealing, lying, or cheating, then you have poor character. You may not have a choice regarding the situations that you're confronted with, but you always have a choice concerning how you respond to those situations. So when dealing with frustrating or disappointing circumstances, you can respond with anger or with patience. And perhaps if you don't, it may be an indicator that you're not as mature or self-controlled as maybe you once thought. But the choice is always yours to make. So your character is always a matter of your choice and thus your responsibility. And that sin, that bad choice is what condemns us. And a lot of us sin because of our own personal choice to do so. And when we choose to sin, we become guilty before God. And so therefore his judgment is fair. And the Bible is filled with so many stories of men and women who have done it right and many who have not done it right. And they're there for our learning so that we can benefit from the example of others. So let this be my timely reminder to 
to remind you, go read and study your Bible because you might learn something new. Romans chapter 5 verses 19 says, Because one person, meaning Adam, disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, meaning Jesus, obeyed God, many will be made righteous. So God is just applying Adam's sin to the entire human race, and he is just in applying Jesus Christ's death to all who will receive him by faith also. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world so that the world might have life through faith in his sacrifice. And that's not fair. That's grace. So in order for a person to turn their ways around and to surrender their lives properly to Jesus and be saved, their hearts need to be changed. A a person who has a stubborn heart is never going to come to Jesus, no matter how much we tell them about it. So if their hearts don't change, they will just keep thinking of the destructive habits and lifestyles and choices. They'll just keep thinking that those things are okay or not that bad. And even though they don't realize how much they're hurting themselves, their loved ones and their friends, they're just blind. But more than that, the Bible teaches that the ultimate consequence of sin is death, meaning that by living in a state of ignorance and moral corruption, it will ultimately bring about eternal separation from God. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And he also continues talking about this in Matthew chapter 25, which I'm not going to read out. You can definitely go read that for yourself because I want to keep moving on. But anyway, in order for a person's heart to be changed, they need to acknowledge God. And unless they do so, like they're just going to be blind, like I said. With God's power and grace, God can create a new heart within us. Romans chapter 10 verse 10 says, For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is openly declaring your faith that you are saved. And also, God says in Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Actually, Psalm chapter 51 verse 10 is a really good prayer for this, actually. And I do want to read the whole psalm because it's very beautiful in its context and This psalm was written by King David after the prophet Nathan had confronted him about cheating with Bathsheba. And it says this, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, and let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And here's verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. And now I'm going to continue from verse 11. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. 
Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. So for a bit more context, you can read actually the full story uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But basically, King David saw Bathsheba, who was a married woman, and he wanted to sleep with her. So he invited her over so that he can do that. And sometime later, she told him that she was pregnant with his baby. So initially, David tried covering up what he did, but that didn't work. So he organized for the murder of Bathsheba's husband. And then when he was out of the picture, he married Bathsheba. So obviously, David didn't have a clean heart after this. He had committed adultery, which is cheating, and maybe even rape, we don't really know, but him inviting her over was definitely an abuse of royal authority. And he also tried deceiving the husband and the people around him, and then eventually it just escalated into murder and corrupting other people in the process. And when people cheat, they never seem to realize how much they hurt others as well until it's too late. And when it was all finished, David thought that he had succeeded in covering everything up and he, you know, destroyed all the evidence. But In the last sentence in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. Even when you try to hide these things, God always sees. So in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet Nathan confronts David about all of this. And because it says that God sent Nathan to do so, like that's why we know. And so Nathan confronted David by telling him a story that David could relate to. And he told a story of a rich man who took advantage of a poor man by stealing his only lamb, which was a pet, which he killed in order to feed his guests. And so when David heard this story, he was overcome with anger and he said, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. And then Nathan turns around, kind of like a mic drop, and he says, you are that man. And then also... Psalm 32 is also written by King David, and it was about how no matter how much David tried to hide his sin with Bathsheba, it was still eating away at him on the inside. And it says this in verses three to four. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And then David admitted to Nathan that he really stuffed up and that he sinned against God and he knew that he needed a clean heart. And so Psalm 32 continues on from that point and here's verses five and six. Finally, I confessed all of my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. And then also you have Psalm 51, which I already read out. But then he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a loyal spirit within me. And so that's not anything like super spiritual or complicated. David is simply asking for forgiveness and cleansing. And as we read in Psalm 32, when he was forgiven and restored into a right relationship with God and with other people, he had a huge sense of relief when he confessed what he did was wrong. And he encourages other people to do the same thing. Verses 8 to 11 say, the Lord says, I will give you along the best pathway for your life. 
I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy, all of you whose hearts are pure. So actually, Paul brings up Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4 later on in the New Testament. And he makes it clear that King David wasn't forgiven because he did anything good in order to earn his forgiveness, but he simply just asked in faith. Because of what Jesus' sacrifice has done for us, it means that anyone can ask God for forgiveness, and that is for a clean and a new heart, and he will accept that. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, If we say that we have no sin, refusing to admit that we are sinners, we delude ourselves and the truth is not in us. His word does not live in our hearts. If we freely admit that we have sinned and confess our sins, he is faithful and just, true to his own nature and promises and will forgive our sins and cleanse us continually from all unrighteousness, our wrongdoing, everything not in conformity with his will and purpose. So in spite of everything that David did and all that we ourselves do, God is always willing to forgive because Jesus has already paid the penalty that we deserve. No matter how much we've messed up, God can always create in us a clean new heart. And also, I just want to say, God's work of creating a new heart in us also involves the testing of our hearts. We don't just give our lives to Jesus and boom, our lives are hassle and sin-free forever. We actually get tested regularly to see if we're for real. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 2 says, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Now the context is different. It doesn't really apply to us, but the principle of this verse does. It says humbling you and testing you to prove your character. Or actually maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 might actually be more straightforward. It says examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. Test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. If not, you will have failed the test of genuine faith. So our hearts should be continually filled with new ideas, new wisdom, and new desires. And that's a sign of good biblical growth, actually. The heart is the core of our being, and the Bible sets a very high importance on keeping our heart pure. Uh, It actually says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And actually, in in a different translation, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it it flows the springs of life. So a spring is a source of water that bubbles up and comes from the ground. And in a similar way, what we do is the result of what we hold and think upon in our hearts. So the spring or our source, like I've been saying, our heart of our actions. When I lie, steal or act immorally, it is because that is what I have fostered and nurtured in my own heart. So God will not only judge us concerning whether or not we actually do the wrong or evil deeds, but also if there is wickedness at all in our hearts. A person may choose to not actually do the wrong thing only because the evil in their heart merely just lacks the opportunity to do the thing itself. Or maybe a person may have adultery or like cheating vibes in their hearts, but perhaps is just lacking the opportunity to do so and may never actually have been able to act upon it. So if a person uh, with evil in their heart is presented with the opportunity, most likely they will act on it. And this is why we're often surprised or dismayed when we hear of someone doing a very serious 
serious wrong. And we just have no idea that they were that type of person to begin with. And it's because we actually had no grasp of the evil that was already in their hearts. So Sinful behavior often happens because people fail to guard their hearts. So when presented with the opportunity to sin, the temptation is just too strong for them to resist and they have not trained their hearts to do good. They haven't practiced it, but instead they've just welcomed evil into their hearts instead. And that's why above all else, we must guard our hearts because it is our hearts that will be judged. Anyway, I can talk about this for a really long time, but ultimately when we come to have a personal relationship with Jesus, Jesus and not a legalistic one, the more that beautiful, close, meaningful relationship with him grows, the better. And we will understand who Jesus really is and everything that he's done for us. And his promises to us actually empower us to purify our lives. And it gives us the ability to listen to God and to live our best lives and to reverse the curse of corruption, which makes us right with God. And I know that I've been reading a lot of Bible verses today and I've been a little bit all over the place, but I want to end by reading Galatians chapter six. So here is verses eight to 10. Those who live only to satisfy their own sin sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone especially to those in the family of faith. So I bring this up to emphasize that the more you let God work in your life, the more he's able to undo the effects of corruption and decay and will gain the benefits from living in a right relationship with him. So anyway, I'm going to leave it there for today. I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I really hope that you'll tune in for the next coming episodes, which will be on being a man or woman for God and also I think I'll end up talking about dating and relationships eventually, but don't forget that if there's anything that you want to hear about, any topic or Bible study, please feel free to message me on the podcast Facebook page, which will definitely be linked in the description below. Anyway, I hope you have a really great rest of your day. Bye everyone! 